Earlier this week, one of my favorite contributors to a blog that I subscribe to, and so I get one or two email notices in my box per week. He posted the following. It was titled, Final Words to My Faithful Flock in South Africa. It was a copy of his final message that he delivered back in June of this year to the congregation where where he had served for the past 14 years. He outlined four legacies that he was hoping to leave with them. And the first legacy was the gospel of the cross. Listen as I read. These are his words. The gospel is everything. Paul preached repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 20, verse 21. And I hope that is a legacy I have left here at HBC. I've made a point of including repentance from sin and faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior in almost every sermon. And if there is one thing you should take with you for the rest of your life, is that the person and work of Jesus Christ alone is what saves you. The verse I have quoted most often in my sermons is this one. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you are saved through faith, And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result result of works, so that no one may boast. This is the verse that God used to save me. And to me, it is the most precious verse in all the Bible. And I hope so for you too. Once when Charles Spurgeon was preaching on this passage, his grandfather was sitting behind him on the platform. At one point, he heard the godly older man whisper to him, Tell them again, Charles. Tell them again. So today, in my last sermon at HBC, I want to tell you this again. Your salvation is safe and secure because of the cross. Cling to the gospel, to Christ. Trust fully in him and his work on your behalf, and everything will be fine. And everything will be fine. What a great legacy. The gospel of the cross. And this morning, in Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul is going to pull back the curtains for us just a little so we can gain a fuller understanding of this gospel of the cross that God has made available in Jesus Christ. It is, in fact, an offer of salvation to anyone and everyone who will repent of their sin. And take that step of faith, believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. 1 John chapter 1, verse 12 reads, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, 
even to those who believe in his name. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and then believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth confesses, resulting in salvation. But how is all this possible? If you're able, I'd invite you to stand with me, please, for the reading from God's Word. Romans chapter 5, and allow me to begin reading at verse 1. Romans chapter 5, and beginning at verse 1. And we'll read through to the end of verse 11. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in the hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character. And proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare, to, to, dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more. Having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Father, again, we're thankful for this opportunity to hear, study, and ponder this written revelation of your person, your plans, your purposes, and even your perspective. May the testimony of the psalmist become our testimony. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies for they are, ever, they are ever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, because I observe, have observed your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way, 
that I may keep your word. I have not turned aside from your ordinances, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste. Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. From your precepts I get understanding. Therefore I hate every false way. Father, as we focus on this specific portion of your word this morning, teach us, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Notice again Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The New Living Translation offers this rendition. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Jesus makes the impossible possible. By the way, that is a really good definition for justification. Being made right in God's sight by faith. In his book, Systematic Theology, Wayne Grudem offers an expanded definition. Justification is an instantaneous legal act of God in which he, first of all, number one, thinks of our sins as forgiven and Christ's righteousness as belonging to us. So my sin becomes Christ's for which he died, and his righteousness now becomes mine. Secondly, he declares us to be righteous in his sight. God declares us to be righteous in his sight. That's justification. So we have done something that deserves punishment. Our guilt is uncontested and undeniable. There is no debate. We are guilty as charged. But then the judge steps forward and volunteers to take the punishment that we deserve. And we are set free. And not only that, but this substitute, this judge who has taken our punishment, expunges our record. Our, his good record becomes ours. Our charges become his. That's just the justification that the, Apo the Apostle Paul is referring to here in Romans chapter 5. And having been justified, we ought to relish it, to delight in it, to celebrate it, for, to never take it for granted, but consider it the greatest gift that you and I could ever receive. Last month, in preparation for our time around the table of the Lord, we looked at the first five verses of Romans chapter 5. 
we identified five benefits that come to us, those who having been justified by faith. Number one, we have peace with God. Number two, we, we stand in God's undeserved favor. Number three, we look forward to winning. We're on the winning team. Number four, we embrace life's troubles as growth opportunities. Number five, we are the recipients of God's generous, and notice verse five, poured out within our hearts, love. This morning, we are going to move on and focus on verses six through to the end of verse 11. In these verses, it is like we're peeking through a keyhole at this justification that has been made possible by faith. How justification by faith is made possible? We don't get the whole picture, but we do see some things that explain the basis of our justification. The first thing that we notice is that it's all about Jesus. The same one who invites us, all those who are trusting in him alone for their salvation, to come to the table, to participate, to do this in remembrance of me. But it's not just Jesus. Notice, it's his death that makes the impossible possible. Look at verse 6. And you may want to take a pencil and underline these phrases. Beginning at verse 6. Christ died for the ungodly. Drop down to verse 8. Christ dies for us. In verse 10, we were reconciled to God through the death of Christ. The death of Jesus Christ made your justification and my justification a possibility. Without the death of Christ, we are dead in our trespasses and sins, and with no hope for escape. Look at verse 6 again. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. To relish our justification, we need to understand that Christ died for us. And so as we prepare to participate at the table of the Lord in the Lord's Supper, remember Jesus as a rescuer. Christ died for us while we were still helpless. The ESV uses the word weak. The NIV uses the word powerless. New Living Translation says utterly helpless. And the message, in the message, Eugene Peterson used, uses two words, weak and rebellious. The actual word used in the original language is asthenes. Asthenes. This is the only place the word is used here in the book of Romans. 
but it is found in other New Testament books. And here's how it's translated. Helpless, in this chapter, once, in all the New Testament. Six times it's translated sick. Once, unimpressive. Weak, 12 times. Weak things once, weaker one, and weakness twice. The idea being presented here in Romans chapter 5 is that unregenerate sinners are spiritually dead and are incapable or powerless to do anything about it. Matthew chapter 26, Jesus is with his 11 disciples. Judas has gone off into the night making preparations to betray him. But the remaining disciples have left the upper room with Jesus. They've made their way through the city of Jerusalem and are now going up and into the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus, once there, separates himself so that he can pray. When he returns to his disciples, he finds them sleeping and said this to Peter, so you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying so that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is asthenes. The flesh is weak. Have you ever been there? Completely exhausted. We've been on road trips where we're driving through the night. And there are times when I feel I cannot keep my eyelids open any longer. Completely exhausted. Asthenes. Unable, powerless to go any further. Pull off, have a nap, or cause an accident. Christ died for us because to be justified by faith. We were incapable helpless to do anything about the unrighteousness that separates us from our Father in heaven. In other words, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. The diagnosis was terminal, and there was nothing, absolutely nothing, that you and I or anyone else could do about it. Romans chapter 7, verse 24 and 25 reads, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free? Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. One more, Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age. As a youngster, I can remember going to the Briarwood Pool, just located on the outskirts of Sarnia, Ontario. I think I was there with the Boy Scouts troop that I belonged to, or, 
or cubs maybe. Um, I may have been quite young because I do remember that I could not swim at the time. But I was one who loved to be underwater. I just loved to swim underwater. And so it wasn't long and uh, we were making our way to the deep end, me and a buddy. And we would hang on the side, let go, allow ourselves to sink to the bottom, bend our knees, and then fire ourselves up to the surface to catch our wind, right? Then back down again. We were having a great time. Until the one time I pushed up, and my fingers caught the edge, but just enough to push me out a little further. And now I'm in trouble. So I go down, bend my knees, push to the surface, catch my breath, no problem. But after three or four times, and drifting further from the wall, well, you know what happens. Panic begins to set in, right? That's not helpful. And I could have kept going up and down for as long, but I was in trouble. And so Robert McCurdy, who actually lived in the house across the street from where I grew up, jumped in and pushed me toward the wall. What Robert did for me in that pool that day is what Jesus did for me at the age of 17. He rescued me. As we prepare to participate in the Lord's Supper this morning, remember Jesus as your rescuer. Apart from his rescuing initiatives, we will drown in our sin. Romans 3.23 makes it clear For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's no exception. Notice verse 6 again. For while we were still helpless, powerless, incapable of doing anything about our condition, at the right time, which means according to God's plan of redemption, Christ died for the ungodly. You may want to take your pen and in your Bible circle that little word for. Christ died for the ungodly. What does that mean? It's not a new message. Mark chapter 10 verse 45, Jesus is actually expressing his personal mission statement. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The end of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 reads, He made him who knew knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And then in chapter 3, verse 18, for Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Christ died in our place. He died for you, and he died 
for me. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Free for us, but not for him. Jesus became our substitute. Theologically, this is referred to as substitutionary atonement. He did for us what we could never do for ourselves. Remember Jesus as your rescuer and as your substitute as we come and prepare to participate at the table of the Lord. Verse 6 reads, Christ died for the ungodly. Some of you may remember me quoting Max Dupree from his book, Leadership is an Art. He says something in one of the chapters that has become a leadership maxim for me. It's lodged in my mind and in my heart something that I'll never forget. He writes, the first responsibility of a leader is to define reality. The last is to say thank you. And in between those two, he is both servant and debtor. I also hear myself often referring to the Bible, God's written word, as his God's written revelation of himself, his person, his plans and purposes, and his perspective. So as a a leader, the Bible enables me to define our reality from God's perspective. Does that make sense? Think about that. The Bible enables me to define our reality from God's perspective, which I might add is ultimate reality. And here's how he perceives us prior to having been justified. Helpless and ungodly, verse 6. Sinners, verse 8. And enemies of God. Verse 10, it's not a pretty picture. Helpless, ungodly sinners who God considers to be his enemies. Theologically, this is referred to as the depravity of man. And beloved is probably one of the perhaps one of the greatest failings of our efforts to proclaim the gospel over the last 50 years. We have failed to be clear. People need to understand and come to grips with their own depravity and their utter helplessness before they can ever appreciate what the death of Christ can mean for them personally. Our depravity does not mean that we are as bad as we can be. But what it does mean 
is that we are born sinners, every one of us. We are sinners by nature. Sin has permeated every part of our being. And we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. And Christ died for helpless, ungodly sinners who were considered enemies of God. And oh, by the way, if Christ died for helpless, ungodly sinners who are enemies of God, who are considered enemies of God, they have no excuse for not coming to him and trusting him alone for their salvation. If they choose not to, well, that's on them. As we prepare to participate in the Lord's Supper this morning, remember Jesus as your rescuer and as your substitute. He paid the debt that he did not own. We owned a debt that we could not pay. Let's move on to verses 7 and 8. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Remember Jesus as God's demonstration. These two verses actually present a comparison. Did you notice the but at the beginning of verse 8? The first part of the contrast presents a couple of scenarios. Scenario number one pictures someone dying for a righteous man. That hardly ever happens. It just doesn't happen according to verse 7. In Canada, it's the RCMPs who provide protection for a prime minister and his family. In the United States of America, it's actually the Secret Service who protects the president. But remember back in, well, it was actually on March 30th, 1981, when President Reagan was shot. The 40th president of the United States was shot and wounded by John Hankley Jr. in Washington, D.C. as he was returning to his limousine after speaking at the, in Washington at the Hilton Hotel. And besides Reagan, White House Press Secretary James Brady, Secret Service Agent Tim McCarthy, and Police Officer Thomas Delahanty were also wounded. During the assassination attempt, six bullets were fired. McCarthy stepped in front of the president and spread his stance to shield him. As a result, he took a bullet to the chest, and in the days, but in the days that followed, made a full recovery. In that case, Tim McCarthy, as a Secret Service agent, was trained to do that. He may not have thought of him as a righteous man, but he was willing 
to die for the President of the United States of America. The second scenario here in verse 7 suggests that perhaps for a good man, someone would dare even to die. So the first scenario would be extremely rare, someone dying for a righteous man. This scenario is more of a possibility, but highly unlikely. One commentator suggests the righteous man is only that, righteous in his own personal life. The good man, he's righteous, but he adds to his righteousness by being kind and benevolent to others. In those cases, where a person has done things that improve the quality of other people's lives, someone may be willing to die for that. But it's still, it's very rare. Not likely to happen. But God, in verse 8, see that? But God demonstrates his own love toward us in, what, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See the difference? God demonstrates his own love toward us, literally keeps on showing his love when we were neither righteous nor good nor the President of the United States. And yet, Christ stepped in front of us. Helpless, ungodly sinners and considered his enemies as we were, he stepped in front of us and he spread his stance. As a result, he did not take a bullet to the chest and over the next few days and weeks recover fully. No, he was subjected to the greatest miscarriage of justice in human history. He was tortured and he died a horrible death by crucifixion. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. We are weak, but he was willing to take the price. The Bible may tell us that Jesus loves us, But the death of Christ demonstrates God's love toward us. We are helpless, but he is a loving and all-powerful God. As we prepare to participate in the Lord's Supper this morning, remember Jesus as God's demonstration of love towards you and toward me. I've shared with you before how my mom would often respond to my flippant, love you, mom, as I was heading out the door. She would return with, your actions speak louder than your words. Great. John chapter, 13, ch- chapter 3, verse 16, one of the most quoted verses in all of Scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave. There it is. That he gave. God's action that perhaps speak louder than words for my mom's sake.
but certainly provide an undeniable demonstration of his love for you and for me. He gave his one and only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. As we take the bread and the cup in just a few moments, they represent the body and the blood of Jesus, his life and his death. They are visible reminders of this demonstration of God's love toward us. Apostle Paul later, the same book, penned these words in Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Look quickly at verses 9 through 11. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For while if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exalt in God through the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. What's the death of Christ offer according to these verses? What contribution is he making to our justification? One word, deliverance. We've been encouraged to remember Jesus as our rescuer, our substitute, as God's demonstrator of love toward us, and now as our deliverer. As we prepare to participate in the Lord's Supper, remember Jesus, as your deliverer and my deliverer. Christ's death, first of all, delivers us from the wrath of God. Apostle Paul refers to the wrath of God earlier in this book in Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Jesus also spoke of God's wrath, something that should propel us to believe that he is the Son of God. John chapter 3, verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So what is the Apostle Paul saying here? That Jesus, having done the harder thing, which was actually justifying us when we were ungodly, helpless, sinners, enemies of God, according to verses 6 and 8. That's the harder thing. How much more will he do the easier thing? Namely, to deliver us from the wrath of God. 
as justified sinners, we can be assured that we will, in the future, now and in the future, be free, delivered from any outpouring of God's wrath on unrighteousness. God is forever done dealing with believers on the basis of wrath. He may discipline us, reprove us, correct us, as a loving Heavenly Father, but He is never going to punish us as payment for our sins. There's a second deliverance resulting from Christ's death for us. Not only does Christ's death deliver us from the wrath of God, delivers us to a brand new relationship with him. We are reconciled to God. Justification is the legal language. God declares us, declares us righteous and absolves us from all punishment that our sin deserves. That's justification. Reconciliation is more the relational aspect where God removes the hostility that exists between us because of that sin. We are brought back into a relationship with him. We have a salvation that takes care of the past, the present, and the future. Christ died for us. Christ lives for us. And Christ is coming back for us so that we can be where he is. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Come to the table. Come to the table. Having been justified by faith and remembering Christ's death did for us what we could never do for ourselves. Christ's death paid a debt that we owed. Christ's death is an expression of God's love that we did not deserve and could never earn. Christ's death saves us from the wrath of God, and Christ's death delivers us to a brand new relationship with him. Come to the table. Relish our justification. Having been justified by faith, believing that Jesus was who he claimed to be, did what the scriptures say he did, and will do what he promised he will do. Trusting Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. The one who commanded us to do this in remembrance of me. Pray with me. Father, thank you. Thank you for opening our eyes to, so that we could see spiritual realities about you, about your plans and purposes, about ourselves, seeing ourselves for who we really are, helpless, ungodly, sinners, your enemies. And then enabling us to respond appropriately to your demonstration of love toward us. 
for those who are here this morning and have not been justified by faith. May this be their day of salvation. May they repent of their sin and begin trusting Jesus Christ alone for their salvation, even as we prepare to participate in this Lord's Supper. As you command it, do this in remembrance of me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.